Hi! Hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, those who can dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Keith Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? As an evangelical, that look into the history of my faith really led me on a deep and deeper journey. And for the first time, I encountered, the very first time, the Catholic Church in its own words, reading from actual Catholic sources. I learned then that what I thought I knew about the Catholic Church, what Catholics believed, was based in large part on misinformation and, more often than not, on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap, the gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I am joined by a real Catholic thinker, talk about the Catholic faith from a Catholic perspective, no misinformation here. And this week, guys, I am absolutely thrilled to bring you my conversation with Dr. Gilbert Lavoie on the Shroud of Turin. This is a fantastic topic. There is so much to dig into in this sort of topic. You know, what is the the Shroud? Is it real? How do we know what we know about it? What do we think we know? What are the misconceptions? Conceptions we have about the shroud, which more often than not are what we we hear overpowering in the media and popular belief. So these things actually aren't true. What is true, even more exciting than what we think we know. This juxtaposed with the Gospel of John, uh, Holy Scripture, uh, paints for us an amazing picture of this ancient relic, this this artifact from biblical times, this shroud of Jesus. It's a fascinating discussion. I think you will love it, and I truly hope that you do. This conversation and others on this show are brought to you by our generous sponsors at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic and one-time donors at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. You guys, this is not my full-time job with with four kids, a a real full-time job and a busy family. This takes time and finances and resources to do, and you guys enable that to be possible. So thank you for your support of the show. Please do pray for us. If you want to support us financially, please do prayerfully consider that too, and those links are in the show notes. And thank you to those already supporting this show. And now, without any further ado, my conversation with Dr. Gilbert Lavoie on the Shroud of Turin. Digging deep, guys. It's an awesome episode. Please listen and enjoy. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. If you are watching on YouTube, thanks for watching. Make sure you hit the bell. Subscribe to this channel. Leave your comments below. This is a fascinating topic to interact with, so I want to hear what you guys have to say in the comments below. Please do take part. uh, Be a part of the channel, and thank you for watching. If you are listening on podcast, thanks for listening. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please do leave a rating or a review, because those help to push the podcast out to more listeners. And this is a topic 
that I know that lots of people are going to want to hear about. This week, talking about the Shroud of Turin, one of honestly my favorite topics to talk about. It's, it's so fascinating, and I am joined by a bona fide expert on the topic, Dr. Gilbert Lavoie. He's a medical doctor specializing in internal medicine, occupational medicine, and public health, and for more than 40 years, he has undertaken a forensic and scriptural study of the Shroud of Turin, done some amazing things. I am so excited to have him on the show this week. Uh, Dr. Lavoie, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here, and hello. Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you. I'm very excited to have uh, some time and we can speak about my new book, The Shroud of Jesus. Uh, this is a great opportunity. Thank you. Absolutely. I should mention the book title. <laughs> I somehow missed that part. It's, it's The Shroud of Jesus from Sophie Institute Press, and it is fantastic. Can I say, I don't want to build up your ego too much, Dr. Lavoie, and risk your head enlarging, but this is a fantastic book. It's full of pictures. It's full of all kinds of, like, it's, it's meaty. It's not just kind of a, an overview uh, of the shroud. We're digging into the actual in-depth details, Dr. Lavoie, and I love that kind of stuff. So this is a, just a fantastic book for somebody who really wants to dig deeply in this topic. So thank you very much for bringing this to the world, Dr. Lavoie. It's, it's fantastic. Well, you're very kind. Uh, that's <laughs> wonderful. Uh, yeah, the one of the things that I've realized when I've over these 40, so probably close to 45 years now, is that uh, I realized God indeed did make this uh, this image, and uh, and He set it up so that people that you don't have to be a physician, a chemist, or a scientist of any kind to really understand what's there. God created it so that everyone could understand what is exactly going on. And so what I've done is I've put what I talk about and what I discuss, uh, everybody can see. I have about eighty photographs in there illustrations and so forth. So what uh, what I say, you can see for yourself. And you can then decide for yourself yeah. what you really think this is. Yeah. What do you think? Is this, uh, is this a forgery? Is this a, uh, some type of uh, odd thing that we don't understand, but it's not real? Or is this real? Is this really the face of Jesus? Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Let's begin on the ground floor. Uh, and I, I want to ask you, I'm sure listeners are familiar with the shroud, but for those who might not be, because this show is listened to by a lot of Catholic converts or non-Christian Catholics who are looking into the Catholic faith, and so for I think for Catholics this is a widely known thing. Uh, the Vatican, ha- well, not the Vatican, but the the Church has possession of this, and it's shown you know once in a while, very very rarely. It's something that's talked about, but for the non-Catholic approaching this, who's going to kind of going to go, what are these guys talking about? Let's begin on the gr- on the ground floor. What is the shroud of Turin? Or, or the Shroud of Jesus, as, as you call it. Sure, absolutely. I think that's very important. The Shroud of Turin, uh, which I, is really and truly the Shroud of Jesus, is called the Shroud of Turin because the Shroud has been in Turin, Italy, for well over 400 years. That's why where it got its name. Um, but the cl- it's, re- it's a cloth, it's a linen cloth flat, made of flax. It's 14 feet, uh, 14 feet long, 3.5 feet wide. And on this cloth, you see the very faint image of the front and back of a naked man. And also you see blood marks that are consistent with with what you read about when you read the Gospel of John. What John talks about, uh, about the crucifixion of Jesus, passion of Jesus, you find all those blood marks on this this cloth. 
Uh, also, you'll see uh, 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 sort of brown parallel lines that are on each side of the body. Uh, that's not our interest. That actually was occurred during a fire in 1532 in Chambéry, France. Uh, so, uh, but uh, that's that's what the cloth is. It's a herringbone weave, and uh, it's uh, and people who ask the question, well, how can cloth last uh, 2,000 years? Well, actually, I I had that same question when I first started, and I went to an Egyptian museum and I found some beautiful linen cloth uh, that uh, lasts uh, three three thousand years. So, if cloth is kept dry. Uh, and an appropriate place, it can last for years, more than, you know, over well over a thousand years. Yeah, yeah. I think what I love about your your study of this, uh, Dr. Lavoy, is we're taking the, the Shard of Turin and we're finding it in the Gospel of John, which is really, really fascinating. I want to get into that in a second, but I want to ask you first, how did you become interested in, in this topic? Like, what, where did the interest for, for you begin? Well, I was uh, I was a freshman in college, and uh, and I was also in pre med. And at the time, I uh, just happened to walk down into Boston, went to a old bookstore, and there I found a book called The Doctor at Calvary. And it was I thought it was just a, a rendition of how Jesus a physicians approach to how Jesus was crucified. But uh, as as I read on, I, I discovered that the, the Shroud of Turin. And I was fascinated by it. I read the book, and then I just put it down and just forgot about it for about 17 years. And then until it was 1978, and I was in the practice, just starting out in the practice of medicine, picked up the Boston Sunday Globe, and there on the front page was a shroud of Turin, the picture. So I said, wow, I think I'd like to go and see this. So my wife and I went, uh, and we were very fortunate. I was helped by a... Uh, Father Peter Rinaldi, who was just a fantastic priest, who was a, was the sort of the, the man behind the scenes who really got Americans to actually do a study on the shroud. And once we, uh, so I was introduced to all the scientists. I was allowed to take go in there with another priest to take photographs of the shroud, and then I went into there, and also I was at their conference. I came back, however, with uh, I was excited, but I tell you, I was a skeptic. And I said, uh, I'm not really sure. You know, I got, see, I didn't need the shroud for my faith. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I didn't, I just wanted to be sure that we had something that was really real here. So I, I remained a skeptic and I got very interested in one of the blood marks. It was an off image blood mark. No one knew how it got there and it fascinated me. And it took a couple of years for me to finally realize actually what happened is that one morning I had, uh, somebody had let me borrow their full-size copy of the shroud uh, photo, and uh, I actually decided to place it over my body. And then I discovered how that uh, blood mark got there, and uh, it, it 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 made a, such a difference. Then I realized 100% that there had been a crucified man placed in this cloth by just that one blood mark, and that blood mark tells a lot of things. But uh, which we, we won't probably have time to really get into. However, uh, that started me uh, the the study uh, because once I realized it was a crucified man there, that was it. I I, I had to keep on pursuing. Yeah. But I can tell you during the entire time, if I would find somebody that said this shroud is a fake, 
I would seek them out to try to find out if, are, what they had to say. And every single time I realized that uh, they didn't have the data that was to it hold up. So I kept on going. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's so fascinating because, of course, the, the main criticism, right, of course, is that this was some kind of medieval artifact discovered. And we know that, that during the Middle Ages, there's all kinds of artifacts and relics popping up in different places, right? There was quite a trade for that kind of thing in that time in church history. And some of it was quite illicit. And some of these artifacts are fakes and phonies. And the criticism is that the shroud is, belongs in this camp. Now, you've done in-depth research. From my uh, kind of hobbyist research, and I've, I've actually had Dr. Cheryl White, a historian from... Yes, very, where, where, very wonderful. Yeah, First, I can't remember yes. where, where she's from now. I, I, it's on the tip of my tongue, and I can't remember where, where she's out of right now. Uh, Louisiana, I think it is, somewhere down there. She works. I've had her on the show a couple of times talking about the shower, and, and she, you know, as, as you know, kind of let me know, well, hey, like you just said, uh, Dr. Lavoie, the reasons why people think this is not real or the reasons why it's out there in popular understanding of why this job might be a fake, might be one of those medieval kind of uh, illicit artifacts, those reasons are actually quite provably wrong and just based on misinformation. And the more research you look into the shroud, the more and more it proves itself to actually be authentic and dispel these kind of ideas that it could possibly have been any kind of forgery, right? Right. Oh, there's there's no question. It is no, it is, in no way is it a forgery. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of wonderful work was done by what they call a Stroop group, about 50 scientists who did accumulated a lot of information. I have uh, in one of my chapters by, uh, of, in my book, uh, The Shroud of Jesus, uh, a, a summary of that. I got to know many of those people. Some of them became uh, long uh, life friends uh, uh, over over the years, and a number of them have, of course, passed away. Uh, we're all getting older, and uh, it turns out that uh, what they had to say with regard to the blood, uh, and definitely when uh, the, well, the man that did that was uh, an Alan Adler. He was a, a chemist. And he was an expert in porphyrins, which is breakdown of hemoglobin. And he's a man who decided, who discovered, indeed, what we see on the cloth that uh, looks like blood is blood. And, of course, from a forensic perspective, uh, looking at the body and so forth, there's no question that this is blood and, uh, and that this was uh, the blood of a crucified man, uh, as, I'm, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, as far as the age and so forth and I have had a couple of wonderful experiences. Um, uh, I, I um, discovered that I understood that uh, this, of course, everybody talks about this, that there's pollen spores on the cloth, uh, and uh, those pollen spores uh, give it an itinerary. They tell it, yes, it was in France and Italy. However, it was also in, uh, in Asia, uh, Asia Minor. Uh, all, and, and actually was all the way down into Palestine into, and into Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, I happened to have been fortunate enough to meet with Dr. Max Fry, the gentleman who actually did that work. I remember meeting him as a, a young man, and he looked at me and he said, I spent five years going to different countries to find out, you know, this, uh, the, you know, the, mashing the pollen spores with the shroud. And uh, it's just a wonderful study. Another, uh, another opportunity I had was, uh, uh, with regard to age and place is um, the, uh, 
the shroud actually was restored in 2002, and uh, and on and the restoration, um, uh, the restoration done by uh, Lemberg, uh, Flurry Lemberg, uh, who is a, a, a wonderful woman who's had a whole lifetime of studying ancient textiles. I had the opportunity to have an afternoon uh, lunch with her in her own home in Bern, Switzerland. And we had a great talk. And she's the woman that actually, she discovered this, this long strip, which is very, just a few inches uh, wide. It goes the, the whole length of the cloth. And it's, we know that it's, it was, it was actually stitched on to the cloth at the same time as the cloth was used because it's actually the same type of material, a herringbone weave, definitely the same material. Well, she discovered that that stitch is absolutely unique in the world. And the only place that they ever found the stitch like that is, uh, in Masada. And Masada is about a two- to three-day walk from Jerusalem. And that city was destroyed in 70, 73, 74 A.D. by the Romans. So we have a, uh, we have a stitch that was done uh, in that area of the world. Here we have something that brings us to time and place. It's just fantastic. Uh, so that's a archaeological find. Uh, uh, Fry's was a biological find. Then we have, uh, as of late, uh, a wonderful study, an x-ray study, that actually compared using uh, x-ray diffraction, looking at the cloth as it, as, and comparing it with other cloths, ancient cloths. They found that the cloth of Masada actually compared it with that cloth with the shroud, and they're identical in, as far as age is concerned. So we have a cloth that's 2,000 years old. And as far as the carbon dating is concerned, everybody talks about that. There was a study done in 2019 that uh, whereby they, uh, you know, they get, they discovered all the statistics from the original study of uh, 1988, and they found that this was not conclusive. So that study is out. So here we have an ancient cloth, and what we have on there uh, is a cloth. That, uh, we have this incredible image. We have actually what we have. I, I like people to realize what we have on there. We have a cloth that has two events on it. And first, it's the blood marks, which are indeed that of a crucified man. Um, and the, in fact, I just have to say this, that over these 45 years that I've been doing this and giving lectures on this, uh, medical groups or whatever, when I finish talking and I show the forensic data, there's never any, no one has ever asked me, are you sure this is a crucified man that was under this cloth? The evidence is so powerful. That's absolutely really a fact. Uh, and so we, we find, and this is a work done by Adler, when he scraped off the blood from a little fibers that they did, they got these fibers and blood with sticky tapes when they did the study in 1978. He discovered there that underneath the blood there is no image. So therefore whatever caused the image, the blood blocked and didn't it, it couldn't it didn't penetrate the blood. So we have so the image uh, the blood came first and the image came second. And that and so so we have blood which is real. It soaks down into the cloth. And then we have this image, which is absolutely superficial. Uh, now, uh, fibers, uh, excuse me, uh, 
threads of, of linen, uh, one thread of linen has many, many tiny little fibers. And these little tiny fibers are less, way less than half the diameter, uh, less, way less than the diameter of, of a hair on your head. Tiny, tiny. And uh, we have some beautiful pictures. We have a beautiful picture in the book, uh, The Shroud of Jesus, that shows this particular slide. And uh, it's really, uh, it's a, what causes the image or what you see there is a yellowing of the fiber itself yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and which is less, way less than the hairs on your head. Okay. So in diameter and that particular fiber, uh, is yellowed as opposed to the other fibers that are not yellowed. There's, they, they lie side by side and it is those yellowed fibers that only run one, maybe two, two fibers deep. Imagine that just that little bit and right superficial right on the top of the cloth that situation uh it's impossible just looking at it to say uh uh, to understand that uh, anybody painted this i mean just have to look at the picture yeah uh and but also adler did some really great studies and we found you know no paint no dye no stain nothing on there what do we have is the yellowing of the fiber it's called a dehydrative oxidation, which is really just the aging of cloth. If you're at your mother, grandmother's house, she has a pot on the table, and it's a linen cloth, uh, and sometimes you pick it up and you'll see that it's white in the middle and it's sort of yellowed on the sides. It's a degradation, just a degradation. And no one knows how this was done. Heat, uh, heat uh, and uh, acid or light can it cause the yellow of fiber, but... At the microscopic level, this shroud image has never been reproduced. <laughs> Which is incredible. And I, the picture you're referring to in your book, I, I was looking through this, and that just struck me so deeply that what, <laughs> what is going on? You can, you can see at the very, very microscopic level that this is not something that's, that's been painted, right? Uh, some of these things, that these perceptions that people have about the shroud, oh, it's easily provable as, as a fake, it's easily painted, it's this, this, or this. You know, the, the carbon dating proved that it was, was not old. These things, as you dig into the actual research, those things are, are misunderstandings. It's false. Uh, time and again, this cloth is, is proven to be what I think we think it is. You know, back in 2019, when I had uh, Dr. White on the show, it was breaking news that, that, that the most recent carbon dating had proven the earlier carbon dating to be, you know, not done in properly, right? That, that was kind of the, the one thing I think holding some skeptics back was to say, well, look, we've carbon dated this. It, it shows it's from, you know, the Middle Ages. So obviously it's, it's a fake. We don't know how it was done, but it's obviously a fake. But that's now, as you mentioned, Dr. Lavoie, that's been proven, uh, the earlier dating has been proven to not be rigorous or, or reliable, Right, right. So that's the statistics. The yeah, it's the statistics of that older day. We haven't. It, it hasn't been re- done again. But the statistics of that older day definitely tell you that 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 is was not a valid study. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and that was the one thing, really, that was pinning it down to the Middle Ages. If I'm if I'm saying that correctly, right, was this of course. Dating, that's what right? they were doing. Yeah, yeah, right. 14th century. Yeah. 
That's what they were, they were pinning it down to that. Yeah, so any notion that this was fake, I guess had to rely on that carbon dating because everything else that you could look to demonstrate the authenticity of the shroud, those are things we can't seem to replicate. You know, we can't obviously replicate the, the, the pollens and we can't figure out how this technique was done. It's it's not painted. It's not been, you know, stamped on there or something. It's, as you mentioned, it's so superficial. That layer, there, there really is not a... I guess apart from there's no I guess I should say there's no positive evidence to show that this was from the Middle Ages or more contemporary, right? No, you're if you what the situation is that you'd have two tables. On one table you have all the data that points to this being the shroud of Jesus. On one table will go from the table it'll, and all the data will go all the way up to the ceiling, and then you go to the other table and you find carbon dating, carbon dating which is just sitting there by itself. Yeah. That's what you've got. Yeah. And uh, that's an outlier, uh, and it's a red herring, and just, it's got to be forgotten. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially uh, with the new data we have, and the bi- biological data, the archaeological data, and uh, the X-ray data we just talked about. There's all, there are also other tests that have shown that it's 2,000 years old as well. Yeah, and it, it's just remarkable. I mean, paging through the you know your book, just seeing up close pictures of the shroud, we have all these details of a crucified a crucified man. We have scourging marks. We have blood on the forehead. We have marks on the on the side. All these things that we expect, you know, from understanding the, the crucifixion from the narrative we read in the Gospel of John and, and elsewhere in Scripture. All those things we'd expect to find, we're finding on this burial on on this shroud miraculously there it's it's all there right in in insane detail well the thing is that if you were doing you know if you were trying to find out who who knew about this who is the witness uh either have in a crime scene you would really have a situation where uh you know generally a crime scene goes on they don't tell everybody all the data and uh then they find out who it is because uh somebody will come in as a witness or whatever, and they were there and giving all this information. Here we have information that's given in the Gospel of John that is so uniquely, it's so wonderful because it actually parallels exactly what you see on the shroud. So that that really means that this man had to be a witness. That's 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 where we start. It's uh, that's which is amazing. So we, you go from there, and uh, what happened is that um, uh, over the years, uh, I uh, studied this, and I, I found other a number of blood marks that were very, uh, very telling, and uh, would really tell us that uh, this uh, image was made was a uh, was not something uh, that could be understood uh, from the point of view of. Uh, uh, thinking of any mechanism that could cause it. First of all, it's never been done. Uh, So that's basically that's where we stand, and it's wonderful to uh, be able to talk to you about it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Now, I guess the the shroud really came into its own when photography was was something that we we developed, right? Because this was, the shroud was understood, and it was kept and venerated for many centuries, and uh, tell me about the first time that it was photographed, because that really, and then I guess well, negative I, photograph, that really changed kind of, you know, you know, led that credence to, oh my goodness, this is a, a thing. But before those pictures, this was believed to be 
the Shroud still. It wasn't the pictures that revealed this person and everyone going, oh, this must be the Shroud of Turin, right? It, that... no. Well, you know, it's, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a very important part of, of the study that you'd find in my book. Uh, I talk about this as the hidden man yeah. uh, and, and the uh, discovery of the hidden man. And it was in 1898 uh, when the first photograph of the Shroud of Turin actually was taken. Uh, Secunda Pia, amateur uh, photographer and lawyer, he uh, took the pictures, took, in those days they had uh, great big cameras with big plates yeah. of glass, and they, he brought it into his dark room, and then he looked at, he was looking at the negative uh, come up, and all of a sudden he saw this marvelous face. Uh, he thought, it, basically he was looking at the face of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And he was so amazed by this that he... Um, uh, you know, he began speaking about it and showing it, and people accused him of being fraudulent in what he did and so forth, the poor man. But he had discovered something absolutely unique, and uh, it, the scientific world became interested in it, and that started the science. 1898 till today, uh, scientists have been very much interested in the shroud. And uh, so that, uh, you can see right behind my head uh, the picture of the shroud, that that photograph was done by Vernon Miller, uh, who is uh, he was a, a scientific photographer. Of, uh, done the the uh, the scientific official scientific photographer of that event, and he did absolutely fabulous work, bringing out the uh, in black and white photography uh, the wonderful image that we see here, uh, and it's not only of the. The, the face, but the entire body, the front of the body and the, and the back of the body. Uh, and a lot of people uh, sort of forget about the back of the body, yeah, yeah. but uh, and as the back of the body is actually very important, has a lot of data that uh, brings us to really understand a lot more about the Shroud of Turin. We can talk about that in a few minutes. I want to get to that in a minute because that's an amazing fact that people forget this. There is a front and a back to this person, which is, again, if this is a, some kind of reproduction, it's <laughs> just mind-blowing. But on the photography piece, it, what I think really fascinates me, uh, Dr. Lavoie, is that it wasn't as if this was this, this shroud that we, we took a picture of, and that's when it became believed to be the shroud, once the image appeared. This was understood to be the shroud for, for centuries before people could take that negative picture of it. They just believed, that, yeah, this is the shroud. And that shroud revealed that hidden man once photography was, was possible. But before people even saw that image in those details, they believed that this shroud was that. So if this is some kind of weird, bizarre forgery, I mean, that forgery was made in incredible detail that no one could even see for uh, until, you know, the, 18, the 1800s. That's really fascinating. Oh, it is fascinating. And that alone, uh, you know, brought so many people to yeah, really yeah. understand this as really the, the shot of Jesus. Uh, and we, I think we sort of, as time went on and we got into photography and so forth, that, that fascination dropped off, but really it is truly the best instrument to study the shroud is the photograph, uh, the black and white photograph. And uh, in doing that, uh, we discovered so much about the shroud. In fact, uh, I used the black and white, well, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but one of the, I think we should talk a little bit about, uh, as I studied this cloth, I um, 
was fascinated by everything we talked about, uh, the blood marks being that of a crucified man, the superficiality of the image, the fact that nobody has ever been able to reproduce it. Uh, but everybody kept talking about that this, is, uh, this must be the moment of the resurrection because of how the image was made and so forth. But I never really got into that. I, I said, as far as I was concerned, that there was really nothing on this cloth that could really convince me that this was the moment of the resurrection. That's the way I felt. I felt very strongly about that. Except well, all of a sudden one day, as I was doing a study on the um, blood marks of the face, I, uh, I, came to, I, I, took, I took a picture of my colleague. He was sitting at the dining room table. And I said, no, no. I said, I, I, for this study, he was a volunteer. I said, you have to be lying down. The man of the shroud is lying down. Took his photograph, and uh, and then uh, when I got the photograph, we did our we did our project on about the blood on the face and hair, and uh, which is another whole story, which we can't get into today, but uh, which of course you'll read about in the uh, shroud of Jesus. Uh, but uh, when I got the photographs, uh, the uh, negatives back, of course, those were the days of positive and negative photographs. I was very anxious to take a look at this photograph that I took of this bearded man lying down, and I felt this should look a little bit uh, like the shroud, the face of the shroud. When I looked at it, it was just a really, uh, it didn't look at all like it. It looks like a sort of a blank face. And it didn't have the white areas around the eyes, nose, and, and mouth, and so forth, that, uh, that the shroud, uh, that the, the, the shroud did not have, shroud had these white, these light areas around the eyes, but the, the image of my colleague, volunteer, did not. His face was all rather blank without those areas. Uh, and I said, well, there you are. There's this, what they say this is a negative, but it's not a negative. And I was very upset about all of it. And then I started going through all the rest of the negatives, and I came across another negative of my volunteer. That, and that, that one looked very much like the shroud. It had light areas around the eyes and the nose and at the mouth, just like the shroud. And that was my moment, that was the ep epiphany of my life with regard to the Shroud of Turin, because then I realized that that's the photograph I took of the same gentleman who's sitting at the table. This He was upright. So then I began to realize the man of the Shroud is upright. I can't believe it. No, and uh, I, I was so awed by that. I, I had the photograph in, in the living room, and I literally backed out of the living room realizing that all of a sudden this man is upright. And uh, so after I uh, I sort of calmed down, I came back in the room and I started to uh, look at this and I said, is there anything else on this cloth that's consistent with an upright man? And I started looking at the at the chest and, the, and so forth and the hands, and they were also consistent with uh, an upright person from the point of view of shadows. Uh, and then I said, is there something else on that? And I says, my gosh, there is something else. Look at the hair. Uh, you can see the hair. Yeah, the hair actually falls all the way down to the shoulders, comes all the way down to the shoulders, but this man is upright. Then you look at the back, and the hair flows down the back, uh, just as if this man is upright. So the hair was consistent with an upright man. And, uh, and then uh, later on, uh, uh, 
if you uh, if you all would follow me, for example, into a hospital, into an autopsy room, uh, or if you're working with cadavers and uh, dissecting or whatever, and I remember when I was young in medical school, first turning over to get uh, uh, the body and seeing, I was just shocked to see the body was flattened. The back is flat, the buttocks is flattened, and so forth. And that's what you have when you have a dead person lying uh, on uh, uh, lying down. You ha- his body becomes flat out. Uh, so um, what I did is, uh, in order to show this to the public, I I has a, a gentleman. Uh, just lying on glass, and uh, you can see the the whole back is flat. And when somebody lies down, uh, the uh, the gravity pulls that body down, pushes that body down, and the anatomy of the back side becomes flattened out. When the person stands up, uh, you have the anatomy, of the, uh, the gravity pulling on the anatomy of that person, and so you have form. You, but you lose form when you lie down. And when you look at the back of the shroud, you find that it isn't flattened out to the back of the shroud has form. So that was, that's a major uh, statement saying that tells us that this man is not lying down, but that he is upright. So what, you know, and you, all the pictures are, are in the book, uh, the, uh, the Shroud of Jesus. Uh, all you have to do is sort of look and study them. You can test those things out for yourself. Uh, you can put your hand on glass or lie on glass or whatever. You can see what happens to a body. Uh, so it's uh, all reproducible. The man is upright. There's no question about it. So that, uh, but, you know, it was, uh, even though I, when I saw that, I said, well, why he's upright, but I saw that his legs were actually uh, crossed. And, uh, Therefore, he wasn't standing. I said, why isn't he standing if he's resurrected? Why isn't he standing? Uh, and I didn't know what to do with that. So I said, well, uh, I didn't know who to look to or call or whatever. And I said, well, I guess I'll probably look at the Bible. So see if I find anything in the Bible. So I began reading the Bible, and I read uh, Mark, Luke, Matthew. I didn't find anything. Then I got to John. Uh, chapter 12, verse 32, and there I read, Jesus said this, uh, and I, when, when, and I, when I am lifted up above the earth, will draw people to myself. It was the exact description of what I was looking at on the shroud, and I was just floored. And I said, then, of course, underneath that, it did say that he was. Well, he must have been talking. He was talking about his resurrection, his uh, crucifixion. However, I pursued that some more, and then I went to people like commentators like Raymond Brown, and I discovered Raymond Brown when he talked, and I found right away in Raymond Brown, actually in the uh, introduction of his book, uh, that uh, when, G- when Jesus, uh, uh, at the end of his career, uh, when Jesus is, uh, at the end of his career, when Jesus is lifted up in uh uh, in death and crucifixion, uh, excuse me, death and uh, crucifixion and, and resurrection, uh, that's the culminating event of his entire career. In other words, uh, the resurrection is the culminating event, and that's actually what you're seeing on this shroud. That changed my whole perspective. 
And then I knew that forensics wasn't going to work anymore. I really had to go and start to study the Bible to do this. Actually, I literally took two years of graduate courses in biblical studies uh, at a seminary. Uh, and, uh, for, and then after that, I studied the Gospel of John intently for 10 years. And the, the product of that work is now, you know, in the book. And uh, this book has been endorsed by wonderful people uh, that understand the Bible. Scott Hahn, for example, calls this a, a go-to book. Uh, and uh, uh, Mike Aquilina, Father Rocky of Relevant Radio, uh, so and others. So uh, I, it's, it's, it's very exciting. And it tells us so much because there's so much in the Gospel of uh, John that relates to the Shroud. Uh, I, I could hardly believe it as I kept discovering it over these years. Yeah. And it's there for everybody to read about. Absolutely. And that, that's what floored me when I, it was probably four years ago now when I first had Dr. Cheryl White on the show. And I, I think I asked her a question like, well, how do we know this from the Bible? Is there, is there evidence of the Shroud in the Bible? I was very naive back then, Dr. Lavoie, when I asked her that kind of question. And she said, well, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and, you know, and your, and your book just unfolds all of that. Like there's, there is just so much that, so many clues that, that the author of the Gospel of John left for us that the shroud echoes, that it's, that's echoed in the shroud. There's so many connection points that say, yeah, th- this is there and this is there and this is there. You know, kind of like breadcrumbs to, to, to find this that just underpin the, the authenticity or, or maybe to put it a different way, you know, if we read the Gospel of John and then found the Shroud, the Shroud is what we would expect to find based on all the evidence that's there from the Gospel of John. This is the kind of thing that, that we would expect to find because it's, it's all there in, in John, right, that lines up with the Shroud so well. Right. It, it's actually, it, it takes, a, I, I can't tell you how many times I've read the book uh, to be able to, with, with one thing after another yeah, and yeah, another, because yeah, yeah. uh, uh, first of all, I, what really encouraged me to do it is that the fact that the blood marks were, some, he talked about the blood mark. I mean, what he talked about with regard to the passion is what we find on the, on the shroud, as we discussed earlier. So I said, maybe there's something else that he's done. And, uh, and indeed, there is. There's a lot that he's done. And uh, actually, what, uh, what he, when he walked into the tomb, uh, he saw this uh, image on the shroud. Yeah, yeah. And this was his epiphany. Uh, and uh, it, it's fascinating how we, he actually literally connects uh, the uh, tomb story to the death story. Uh, the death story really tells you what we see on the shroud, and then he talks, and then he connects it to the temple story, and that tells you uh, that that's the sign uh, that Jesus left. Uh, recall the temple story. The um, temple story is when Jesus is uh, in the temple. He uh, is very unhappy with what's happening there. He chases all the merchants out, and uh, and he says, uh, uh, "Stop making my father's house a uh, uh, a marketplace." And so the, uh, the the Jewish authority said, "Well, show us a sign, you know, that allows you to, to you know to do this." And Jesus says. He gives them a sign. He predicts a sign. And the sign that he predicts, destroy this temple 
and in three days, uh, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, what does that mean? destroy this temple in three days I will raise it up and John makes it clear that he's raising the temple of his body he's talking about the temple of his body and that's what you see in the shroud the, the temple of Jesus the body of Jesus raised up and that's what he predicted 2,000 years ago and that's what we have today for everyone to see this fascinating it's more than fascinating it's wonderful it's a work of God, and why does God? Why does? Uh, why did Jesus do all these works? Actually, just to be to go back a little, John calls what we call miracles. John calls signs. Jesus yeah, yeah, called them yeah. works, and those works were there for a reason. And Jesus was very specific about the reason. He did those works so that we would know that he was sent by the Father. And that he, that we would know that he is in the Father, and the Father is in him. So that's why he did these works, and that was this is the this is of all the works that were done by Jesus. This is the only living work that that has come down to us, the most important work, and God has allowed this to happen. And lo and behold, we discover this, of course, this hidden man. You know, just in 1998, it's for us today to come to realize that Jesus is the Son of God. <laughs> Amen. That's an, I love that, Doctor Lavoie, and I love that you had mentioned that it's the it's your epiphany moment there, realizing that this was actually was an upright man, right? This isn't necessarily a shroud of a man who's been crucified and laying in the tomb. This is, like you, like you say, this is the sign. This is the sign that this is of a man who was, who was resurrected. I think that just further deepens the, uh, the amazing sign that this, the, the shroud is, that that image is of a man resurrected, not laying down in a tomb. Like this is, gosh, that gives me goosebumps. <laughs> think about well it's, it's uh it, the thing is this if you go all around the world and you look at sculptures of the man of the shroud you will find them all with him lying down yeah yeah uh we just created a i uh, worked with uh, yeah, three and yeah, a half yeah. years with pablo eduardo who is a very well-known uh a sculptor internationally known sculptor and we worked three and a half years on and off of course and uh, we developed, a, a, he did a beautiful job of, of inch by inch. We studied and measured and studied and measured, creating a, an image, uh, a new image, uh, replicating as best we could what you see on the shroud, looking at back and front. And that now has been finished. And actually that's, that sculpture is at the, uh, Ave Maria University down at the tip of Florida. If anybody is interested in ever looking at it, uh, they can find it there. We have a bust of the of, of the uh, the entire sculpture, which I just left down at the Catholic University. Excuse me, at the Catholic Information Center on K Street there in Washington D.C., right downtown at K Street. And if anybody wants to see it there, they will not only see the uh, they will see the bust of showing the hair flowing down front and back. And you have to ask yourself, would, uh, is that of a man 
lying down? And the answer really is no, it's not. Yeah. It's a van that's upright. And also there from another group, they have a, uh, the full-size shroud, which people, could, you know, in color, they could people can see that. But uh, the bust that uh, we have brought down in my books there, of course, the Shroud of Jesus, and of course, uh, it's available uh, from Sophia and uh, and other outlets. Yeah, and what's remarkable, you mentioned just in passing the Dr. Lavoie that I think is absolutely amazing, is that this is a sign for us today. Right, like photography wasn't available back in in the Middle Ages for people who who venerated the shroud or had the shroud back then to see. God in His infinite wisdom, if you believe the shroud is authentic, and there's no reason I don't think to believe it's not authentic. You know, if you're a, if you're a Christian believer or somebody who's curious about the the Christian the Catholic faith, you got to realize that yeah, once photography was available and the shroud was filmed, was pictures were available and this negative image was available, and we can see the the detail of this more in depth. We couldn't do that until recently, which leads you to say, I think wisely, Dr. Lavoie, that, that this is a sign for now, for us right now. This is a modern sign that we were, you know, that Christ left for us 2,000 years ago in the tomb when he resurrected, no, you know, knowing in his infinite wisdom that, that now is the time for us to see this and, and to begin to ask questions and for you know, God and his infinite wisdom to draw us closer to him through these miraculous things like the shroud. Like that's a, this is a now thing. I think that's amazing. No question. It's a now, it's a now, it's uh, it's all in God's time. And uh, so now we understand that and we, uh, and we, it's important to let people know what it is and to uh, uh, understand what it is. And the best way they can understand is by reading the book. The Shroud of Jesus, yeah, uh, and uh, and it's a sign John ingeniously concealed, yeah. and indeed he did. He ingeniously concealed it again, knowing that if he, uh, if people knew about it, uh, that it would be destroyed by his countrymen because it would be considered an object of idolatry. So he had to conceal it. Yeah, tell me a bit more about that. Could you go into that in some more depth in in the book? And I encourage listeners to pick up this fantastic book. It's I, I gotta say to you, this weighs a lot. Like it's it's how many pages is this? It's two hundred pages ish. They're they're packed. Like the <laughs> they're packed full of information. The font is not very big because there's so much in here, Doctor Lavoy. So kudos on on just packing this full. But one of those things, yeah, is this idea that this was. Uh, really a sign that was concealed by by John that really some rigorous Bible study can un- unpack this. And I remember Dr. White on the show four years ago piquing my interest, cluing me into the fact that, yeah, John mentions there's, there's a shroud in there. He left that tidbit there in the inspired words on, on purpose. But do you, uh, you talk about this idea of kind of concealing that sign and why he would have concealed that sign. That is really fascinating. And I think just lends more credence to this being, yeah, right right there in the Bible, right? So what is this idea of, of why would he have to conceal kind of this hidden hidden sign in his gospel? Well, he, in the, in the uh, you know, uh, in the Jewish world uh, that, uh, you know, images, uh, and certainly uh, even now, but at that time, if you uh, if you read Josephus, and I have that in there yeah, in the yeah. book as well. If you read Josephus, uh, who paralleled uh, John uh, John's life, um, you find that uh, 
people would rather the Jew, the, the Jewish people would rather die than have this type of image, like say, put into their temple and so forth. They and uh, and it, it then you find in the Mishnah, uh, which is a, a, another old a Jewish text uh, that uh, if you you if you find hand or foot of man on a on an object. Should be torn up and thrown into the sea, into the Dead Sea. The whole idea is that these things are, uh, with images, are considered objects of idolatry, and they must be destroyed. And they're very, very firm on that. And there's no question if John really, John absolutely knew this, and there was no way that he could act, actually talk about this image. It had to be hidden, but he did. Uh, and you'll see in the book, step by step, how he does actually. Uh, demonstrate the fact that this does exist and what the meaning of it is. And there's a lot, the meaning of the upright man uh, is uh, found uh, throughout the Gospel of John. Yeah, and it's an, it's an intense and really fascinating Bible study on how John would let his readers know without revealing yet. Because of course, right, as you say, if this was known that that image was left behind, that John went in the tomb and, and found that, that would be destroyed certainly right the, the the leaders at the time right i mean they crucified jesus for a reason they'd want to of course to be able to destroy any evidence they could uh, that he was resurrected or any evidence that would really embolden his followers at that time right they'd want that destroyed so john cleverly had to kind of veil that but left those clues for his for his readers i mean for for us in the future to go oh my gosh this is it. This this really lines up with what John was talking about back then. I think that's so fascinating, Doctor Lavoy. That that's amazing. It is fascinating, and it's a it's a fun read. It's written it's uh, written like a detective story uh-huh. for those people that are. Uh, it's not dry. It's sort of a uh, so and that was it was a detective story. It was a forty five year detective story. It took a lifetime to uh, understand what this was about. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's a blessing and a, a gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that that's amazing. Okay, I, I wanted to ask you, maybe this question is, is not relevant anymore because uh, this discussion has just revealed so much amazing evidence, but maybe it's just a preponderance of, of evidence that will lead to this cloth being uh, authentic. But is there a piece of that evidence, that body of evidence that just stands out to you that really has moved the needle or for a skeptic you think would move the needle to say, you know what, this can't possibly be, maybe it's not Jesus on the cloth, but this is some kind of miraculously resurrected, I don't know who else <laughs> would qualify, Dr. Levoy, but is there a piece of evidence that you go, yeah, this is it for me that really seals the deal? Or is it just all the evidence together maybe? Well, what it comes down to is to discover what we just uh, discovered in the gospel of John, yeah, yeah. you had to first understand. See, this was basically, I'm sure, his thinking. He understood. He saw Jesus uh, die on a cross. He saw him, and he describes him. And so, what you see uh, uh, a man on a cross, he's, he'd be up in he'd be up in the air. He uh, hair his hair would fall down. Uh, being an upright man, just like we see on the shroud. Uh, you see the wound to the side, the fact that they didn't break the legs and so forth. Uh, what he describes there is what you see on the shroud. So uh, he, he does this, and he connects that with again with the tomb story, and what you and he also does the same connecting it to the temple story, which actually tells you that when Jesus gave that sign, he's telling them that uh, he's telling everyone 
that he is the son of God, because the big, the big clue is that, you know, when we think about the temple story, uh, we just think about the money changers, whatever, but there's a statement that's made in there. When Jesus said my father's house, it was the very first time that he claimed to be the son of God. And that's early in the gospel of John in chapter two. First time he claims it by saying my father's house, he's saying I'm the son of God. And that's the reason why the, uh, the Jews and authorities wanted a sign to say, well, huh? because you go to chapter five and Jesus basically says the same thing about his father. And, uh, and John gets into the details of that, how that's blasphemy and that they want to kill Jesus because of, of saying that. So that's the same thing. It was a, it was a major statement that he made there. That's why they wanted the sign. And so when Jesus says, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. That is the sign that he predicts telling you that it will, if that does indeed happen and you see that in the future, know that that means I'm telling you it's proof uh, or it's, it's uh, data telling you that uh, I uh, am indeed the son of God. And so that's what John understands and re realizes when he's in the tomb, he, uh, it's very interesting when you read the, uh, the tomb story, the tomb story is, uh, he walks in the tomb, he, he looks at the, uh, he sees the linen cloth, uh, then Peter goes in, he sees the linen cloth, so right then and there, you know that those linen cloths are very important, because he has two people witnessing that those linen cloths exist, that's very important in the Jewish world. He has two witnesses. So he's telling you they are very important. And then when he goes in, he saw and believed. And he and there is no object to those verbs, saw and believe. You don't know what it is that yeah, he saw. Yeah, yeah. And you don't know what it is that he believed. Some people, you know, all the years when they said, well, he saw an empty tomb and that uh, he believed that Jesus resurrected. But that's not, when you really study that, you find out that the very last statement that he makes on the tomb story is that, yeah, you know, uh, as of yet, we did not understand the scripture that he was to uh, rise from the dead. Well, then he's telling you that it wasn't the resurrection that he believed. He's telling you they're right there in black and white ink. He's telling you that. So what did he believe? Uh, that brings you back to the temple story. He believed that it was that he, in other words, Jesus, he was seeing Jesus' prediction of his destroyed body being raised yeah, up. Yeah. That's what he saw. Therefore, he believed Jesus that he is indeed the Son of God. Yeah. Yeah, you know, these, we're, we're going over this very quickly, but it's really well outlined and well yeah. studied in the, the, uh, the book, uh, The Shroud of Jesus. And, uh, Anybody who's interested should should really grab the book. Yeah, it's it's really very exciting, uh, and we've had wonderful feedback, and uh, uh, I think people would enjoy it uh, if they uh, if they don't even believe in Jesus. Uh, it's a wonderful detective story, yeah. and uh, it's uh, you know it's, it's it's great reading. Yeah, it is too. And my last remark with you, or question for you, Doctor Lavoie, is is that exact thing? People who don't believe in Jesus, like this, you mentioned before. I think amazingly, this is a sign for now 
for us, right? This is a sign for, a, for the information age, for when photography was possible, when these studies were possible, when science could dig into the shroud and just prove time and again and again all these different pieces of evidence that just kind of add up, right, to show that this really is what, what it seems to be from the evidence from the Bible, right? And all the science that just seems to underpin that, this is a sign for now. So for that person who who isn't doesn't believe in Jesus, you know, what what do you want them to come away with after, you know, hearing all your evidence, reading this book, experiencing the the authenticity of the shroud? What do you think that would would do for a person who doesn't know Jesus to, to encounter this? Well, all I have to say is that, you know, we have all these photographs and so forth. What I what I say in the book is, you know, you see what you get, yeah. it's there. Yeah. So you have to, you make up your own mind. Uh, all you have, when you go into the book, you just, you have your mind and you have your eyes and then you just look at this and you make your own decision. And, uh, you can say what, whatever that decision is. Uh, but I can say that I believe from what, what has happened here is that God, uh, cre- created a, an image uh, that is really communicating to us today that uh, he is real yeah. and that spiritual life is real, that uh, 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 the bread of life is real. <laughs> that's what he's doing. And uh, But that's your decision. That's a person's decision. But all it takes is their, their mind and their eyes yeah. and then they can make, they should be able to make their own decision yeah. of what this is. Yeah, that's fantastic. Dr. Lavoie, this has been an absolute thrill to have you on the show on this topic. I, I love it. Hopefully listeners will just eat this up. I think it's going to be fantastic. I'll put links to uh, find this book and to get this book from Sophia Institute Press and the links to this show note on YouTube and on the podcast. And I want to thank you and say God bless you and the work you're doing for the church in this area, Dr. Lavoie. It's it's amazing. So thank you, and, and thanks for being here today. Well, it's great. I was, it was a pleasure to be here. I want to thank you and for all the people, all your audience. God bless all of you uh, for what you do. I think it's just wonderful. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Thanks very much. Well, friends, hopefully you loved that conversation. This is a topic that for me is just one that I could go over and talk about for hours and hours and hours. Hopefully you enjoyed that. That was edifying for for you. Always learning something new and, and... what a fun and fascinating topic to talk about, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Let me know, cordialcatholic at gmail.com for your feedback. I get a lot of emails and I'm very, very busy, but I write back to all the ones I can. Uh, all of them I do at some point, eventually. So thanks for your patience sometimes, guys. The cordialcatholic.com is our website for show notes and blog and things that we're doing on this show. We're on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram at cordialcatholic. We're on threads too, actually, if, you, if anybody's still- is into threads. We're on Facebook at The Cordial Catholic, and we are on YouTube to watch what you're hearing, youtube.com slash The Cordial Catholic. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please leave a rating or review because that helps push the podcast out to more people who will hear messages like this one and and grow in their, their understanding and appreciation and love, hopefully, for the Catholic Church. That'd be amazing. 
if you uh, if you want to support the show financially with your financial gifts, uh, those links are in the show notes to patreon.com slash cordialcatholic and paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. And thanks, guys, for your support of the show, for your prayers, for listening. Know that I'm praying for you, too. Please do pray for me. Uh, i talk to you again very, very soon. Until then, take care. God bless. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Calvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.